want you to look, if you would, in your book to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. In one of my old Bibles, and I don't even remember who said it or where I heard it, but uh, they said that the book of Romans was the constitution of the Christian faith. I thought that was a wonderful term, the constitution of the Christian faith, because there is so much in this book about our redemption, about our salvation, about our eternal destiny, and just a tremendous, tremendous uh, book, the book of Romans. I've read books on the book of Romans and studied the book of Romans and have a lot of sermons out of the book of Romans, but this is something uh, brand new, and I hope it'll be a help and a blessing uh, to folk tonight. Notice what it says in verse, seven, uh, verse 14. Verse 14, Romans chapter 1 and verse 14. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the songs of God, the hymns that we have sung together tonight. The songs that have been sung for our edification and encouragement this evening. Thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the blessing uh, that it's been to me to become acquainted with Bible Baptist of Rossville, Georgia, and her pastor, and the fellowship that we enjoy and the friendship that we have. It's all because of Jesus Christ and what he has done in our life. I pray that you'd help me tonight. Uh, my thoughts are very, very simple this evening. I don't think there's anything that would be complicated for anyone to understand. And I hope it'll be a blessing. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to consider this fact that belief, believe, the word believe and faith are not synonymous terms. Believe is something that we consider, uh, and we consider it to be true, and we develop a firm conviction concerning some particular thing. Now, I have faith tonight in this pulpit as I lean on it that it will hold me up. So I believe that. I, I have faith that it will. In Acts chapter 16, in verse number 31, the Bible said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. He said that uh, to, Apostle Paul said that to a prisoner who was about to take his life there in the Philippian jail. You know that story. We won't go into it uh, this evening. But when we put our Believe when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's when faith steps in. And we have these words are familiar to us, uh, 
belief and trust and loyalty, just simple words. John 1 and 12 says, but as many as believed on him, uh, put their faith and trust, as received him, I should say, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Such a tremendous truth. Romans chapter 10 and verse 10, that uh, with the heart man believeth unto righteousness. Romans chapter 3 and verse 28, man is justified by faith. Now see, it's not your faith that satisfies God. But God is satisfied with Jesus Christ and the sacrifice that he made. And when we put our faith, when we believe that that sacrifice is sufficient for our salvation, that's when salvation comes. Now, there's other theological terms like justification. Uh, We read there, the just shall live by faith. The the ability of the gospel. I, I, I love what Paul said there. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. Now, how was that power transformed or transferred to you? How do you take advantage of that tremendous power that is encapsulated in the gospel? How does that work? What has it done? Listen, the gospel is the most powerful of power because it works every single time. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because if you will believe and you will put your faith in the one that the gospel is concerned about, you'll get saved. It works every time. For the worst of sinners, for the most self-righteous of sinners, it works for good men and bad men, It works for fine women and fallen women. It works for children and teenagers and middle-aged and it even will work for you old-timers that need to be saved. I heard the testimony of some man back in the audience got saved, I believe, when he was 48 years old. That man's a miracle. Very few people get saved after 40, especially in this day and age. It's a miracle. It's a miracle when anybody gets saved. Sandy and I had the great fortune one day uh, to hear a tremendous, tremendous old man of God. I don't think he's even alive today. I know his wife passed away, but I've kind of lost contact and connection with him, a fellow by the name of Otto Koning. And uh, we heard him speak. And I got to know him a little bit and I ordered some of his stuff and uh, some of his literature and some of his uh, tapes or CDs they were. And just wonderful, wonderful things about that great man. But he was a missionary. He went to, uh, it's called Irwin Jawa now, 
but in those days it was West New Guinea. And he went there in the early 60s. And he went there, he was a missionary candidate. He'd never been anywhere. He didn't know anything about the language. It was his first assignment. And the only reason that he went there is the missionaries that had been flown in there, they had got a message back that they couldn't take it anymore. They'd only been there about 90 days. And so Otto and his wife, they flew in and they unloaded them and put these people on and flew out and just left them there in the jungles of uh, Irigunjau. And there was, uh, there was uh, 300 people in that village. There was not a Sears and Roebucks. There was not a Penny's. There was not a fine clothing store within hundreds of miles of that place and not one person in the village had any clothes on. They were all just, they were as naked as the day they were born. And they, they got into that. You talk about intimidating. Just a young couple at the time fly in, they drop you off and, and you're surrounded by these people. And the great story about it, you could, if you find it, you can probably find it on the internet. You can find everything there nowadays. Uh, he wrote a book called The Pineapple Story, and it's a tremendous book about what they went through uh, there in the early days of their ministry. But they went seven years. He never won a soul. They didn't know the language. They couldn't communicate. Been there seven years. Hadn't had one person saved. He had kind of figured out, you know, just by hook and by crook, a little bit about the language and he would tell people as best he could and had some literature and he had witnessed to a chief about the Christian faith and so uh, one day he got a, met, they got a messenger came and said, chief so-and-so would like to see you. It was a three-day trip through the jungle and through the swamps to get there and so he packed up and went and when he got there uh, to that chief, he sat down and uh, that little hut, and again told him the story of Jesus and of the cross, and those are pretty important things, by the way. I wish that preacher friend that says all that foolish stuff about it would quit saying negative things about the cross and Jesus. I mean, how, st how stupid. I wish I hadn't said that. Frankly, if I turned the clock back, maybe you didn't hear it. I don't know. They got there and he talked to that chief and told him. And the chief bowed his head and received Jesus Christ as his Savior. He said, now I want you to stay here a day or so. I have 50 men, 50 warriors that served me and I'd like to have you tell them what you've told me and I'd like to have them be saved. So he stayed there and he told those 50 men how to be saved. I don't know how much influence the chief had, but all 50 of those men bowed their heads and received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Been there seven years and now he's got, hadn't had a convert, now he's got 51 in a couple of days. Well, he walked to three miles, excuse me, three days back to, and rejoicing all the way and he wasn't there very long and another messenger came and said, Chief so-and-so wants you to come. He has a friend that's a chief of another tribe. He's brought him uh, to his place, and he wants you to come and tell him of Jesus Christ. And so he took another three-day trip back to the jungle and the swamp and got there, and that chief was there with 50 of his men. 
And long story short, they all bowed their head and they received Jesus Christ as their Savior. Now, he's been there seven years. In the last couple of weeks, he's got 102 converts. I mean, he is rejoicing. He is excited. So he spends the next few months going back and forth across there and trying to disciple these men, uh, let them know what, you know, there's a lot to know. You first get saved, it's great, but there's a lot to know. And so he's discipling these 102 guys. And uh, one day, one of them raises their hand and said, uh, they called him Tuan. He said, Tuan, do you think that women could be saved? Now, that is quite a question right there now coming from an aboriginal who hadn't had a stitch of clothes on in his life and living in the jungles of New Guinea, or excuse me, it wasn't New Guinea then, it was Dutch New Guinea, West, West New Guinea. But anyway, he said, of course they can. To make a long story a little bit longer, within a few weeks, he'd had over 300 converts. Amen. All of their wives got saved. Some of them had two or three wives, so there's a bunch of wives. Uh, all of their wives have been saved. I mean, he had over 300 converts, had, had been there for so long. Now, I said that to say this, that the power of the gospel, I'm not ashamed of this gospel, that it can, that it can transform a life. An American or a primitive man somewhere in the jungles of the world. I was preaching the first Sunday of November in Arizona. Church, not very big. Uh, I don't know, maybe 40 to 50 people. Uh, they only have about seven or eight rows. Uh, the building would be only about a quarter of the size of this. No big platform, just one step up to it. I've never done it before. I may do it in the future. But I asked those that would like to be saved that morning to raise their hand. A young lady raised her hand and uh, made the appeal a little bit longer and nobody responded. And I said to that little lady, I said, now there's a young lady in the room. She knows that she raised her hand a moment ago. And I, I'm concerned about alder calls if we'll ever get back to what it used to be. All of my 50 years of preaching and all my 70 years on this planet of watching people come forward, I don't, it, it seems to be different. And of course, you had a crowd down here praying tonight, so I guess you guys ain't too concerned about it. But I said, little lady, if you look up at me, I'll get somebody to come with a Bible and take you over here in a side room and show you how to be saved. And she looked up at me and nodded her head. And a lady came, missionary, it was a missionary, it was a mission conference, and a missionary wife, she came, took that young lady out in the other room. And, and she got saved. And I, I thought it was wonderful. It was great. I didn't realize. I didn't know. The pastor's wife, uh, she was doing junior church with a few kids. And she got the message to her somehow that this girl had gotten saved. That church had been praying for that young lady for 15 years. I thought the pastor's wife was going to have a heart attack. This girl that she labored in prayer. Listen, the power of the gospel can save a girl that had heard the message perhaps for 15 years. 
I was preaching in upstate New York at that church, Howard Smith's church. And there's a whole lot of stories about that we don't have time for either. And he's a Rock of Ages missionary now. And Brother um, uh, Ellis told us the other night when we saw him that uh, he's back sick again. He would need to pray for Brother Howard. But I was preaching for Brother Howard Smith. I don't know, it was quite a while ago, probably 30 years ago now, I guess. Uh, a little old church up in uh, Gloversville, New York. Uh, he bought a Catholic church, set up on a, a high hill overlooking the city and turned it into whatever it was, Baptist church. I don't know what it was. And I preached the gospel one Sunday morning and two 76-year-old women walked the aisle and got born again. And I found out afterwards they were twin sisters. You think about it. They got born the same day and born again the same day. The power of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of the power of the gospel. I praise God tonight along with all of you that are redeemed that my sins are gone. They are underneath the blood that was shed on Calvary. I like what someone said in their testimony tonight. I wrote it down in my notes that God punished him, Jesus, so that he could pardon me, us. Jesus bore our sins on Calvary. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, is the most powerful cleansing agent in all of the world for all time. It is strong enough to cleanse us from all sin. 1 John chapter 1 and verse number 7. It has power to release us from the power of Satan. Revelation 12, 11. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb. God gives us victory over the enemy through Jesus' blood. It gives us strength to enjoy God's best. Psalms 103 he forgives all thine iniquities and redeems our life from destruction. Amen. It's relief from sin's stranglehold, saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. I like that old song, I Can't Sing. I kind of, I'm kind of thankful I can't sing because you get in churches and folks can really sing good and boy, I can get up and try to murder some song. But I like that old song, My Sin. Not the part, but the whole. <laughs> Was nailed to the cross. What a glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole. And I bear it no more. And it's well. It is well tonight with my soul. And we can praise God. We can praise the Lord for the fact that the blood of Jesus Christ is the power, is the agent that saves us from our sin. I like those, this too. It draws us to him. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 13 that those that were far off, those people way over there, 
in New Guinea or way over in some other foreign country or here in America, which is a long ways away from where those words were written. Those that were far off have been made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. And verse number 16 of that chapter said, it reconciles us to Jesus Christ. It reveals the love of God in our life, this precious blood. I think I told, and I'm pretty sure I did this morning about uh, that fellow that was Ravi Zacharias's uh, interpreter while he was over there in uh, Vietnam many, many years ago and how he got away on that boat. And, you know, I think I told that this morning, no sense going over that again. So this is the rest of the story. Like Paul Harvey. How many remember Paul Harvey? All of us wonderful old people here. I feel sorry for you kids that don't know who Paul Harvey was. You know, Paul Harvey was a Christian. I read his, I read his autobiography. It was so interesting. When he was a young radio man, he went to some church services. He went five nights and he got born again. But he went for years. He never followed the Lord and believers' baptism. He didn't know anything about it. I mean, for 40 years or more. And he was on vacation in Arizona, and Sunday morning they went to a Baptist church. And that preacher that morning preached on the importance of being baptized. Now, if you've been born again, you need to be baptized Amen. to follow the Lord and believers' baptism. Amen. It's part and parcel of the Christian faith. It's a, it's a testimony to the world that I've left you behind and I'm going forward with him. That's why baptisms back in the day, they used to baptize people. They didn't have baptistries in the buildings. They went down to the creek or uh, down to the ocean or down to the sea someplace and everybody would be around there and they'd go in there and get baptized. And he heard that message that day and he asked the pastor if he would baptize them and he got baptized. He said this, and this is not an exact quote, but he said, I never felt any better about my salvation than when I follow the Lord in believer's baptism. That's an important thing. Well, the rest of this story is this. Zacharias had, uh, <laughs> he graduated from Cambridge University. I know one of the fellows in the church told me this morning, and I knew that uh, Zacharias had been saved on, uh, he, he tried to commit suicide when he was a 16-year-old boy. And he was saved in the hospital and one of the fellows in the church told me today that he knew uh, that someone had taken a little uh, Gideon New Testament and led uh, Zacharias to the Lord. And I'd never heard that part of the story before. But anyway, while he was there at Cambridge, he so impressed uh, the people, he was an apologist for the Christian faith, that uh, he was asked, he was invited to go to Vietnam and, and go to the military camps, uh, ours and also the, the enemy at the time, and, uh, and preach and present the gospel. And he went for four long months. And this fellow was his uh, interpreter the whole time. Of course, Zacharias, he goes back about his ministry, and this guy's stuck there. Well, it wasn't long. This fellow, got, he got put in a concentration camp, got put in a Vietnamese prison, which wouldn't be a very nice place at all. I don't think an American prison would be a very nice place. But he was in the prison there, they gave him the worst of all jobs. 
His job was to clean the latrine. And I don't know. I mean, it'd be bad in an American prison, but how horrible it would be in a Vietnamese prison. So he is going about his forced labor, and uh, he's, uh, his faith is wavering. He's uh, discouraged. He's a little bit upset at the Lord, and he had been talking to God, uh, kind of griping a little bit. None of us would ever do that, I know. But he said, you know, you don't love me. There's no way, God, that you could love me to put me in such difficult circumstances as this. And so he was doing his job of cleaning that part of the facility, the filth and all that was there. Worst job you could get. And he's bemoaning the fact that he didn't believe that God loved him anymore. And he was in there and he saw a little piece of paper about that size. And, of course, he had to pick up the paper from the filth of the floor and, and get rid of it. He picked up that piece of paper and when he did, he noticed there was some English words on it. And so he put it in his the little jacket that he had to wear Took it back to his bunk that night, cleaned the filth off of that little piece of paper. He wanted to read those English words. And when he got that little piece of paper cleaned in English, he read this. I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor Pelosi, nor... <laughs> Wait a minute, that's not there. <laughs> nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Daily, when he would go back to work, they were using an English Bible in the most reprehensible of way, way I could imagine. And pieces would be found on the floor. And he would go in there every day and look for those pieces of Bible. And he'd clean them off so that he could just have the privilege of reading some words from God. And we haven't even opened our book today. We haven't even read our Bible. We were too busy this morning. We were behind our schedule. We didn't get to it. Oh, my goodness. The wondrous things that are found in that great book. I told a story one time here about Adultus Huxley. He died the same day as President Kennedy. And, uh, I read something else about, I read a couple books about him. I got kind of interested in him. He was kind of, he was an atheist and uh, he really was kind of a nut to be honest with you. But I read this the other day in another book, somebody talking about him on his deathbed the day he died, November the 22nd, 1963. 
It said, he had a it said he had a strange look on his face. And the last words that he said on this planet were, so it's true. And off into eternity he went. So it's true. I want to tell you what's true. If you put your faith and trust and belief in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll go to heaven. If you fail to do that along the road of life, you will die and go to hell. We can know the regenerative work of God and how it changes us forever. We know tonight that we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God. He lives inside of us. We've been baptized by his spirit. We've been sealed by the Spirit till the day of redemption. One of the greatest little two words I found in the Bible some time ago, I was reading, I come through Philippians 3, 9, and a little in the middle it says, found in him. Found in, you looking for me? I'm in him. They found in him. And then I like, Colossians 127, it says, Christ in you. <laughs> so we are in him and he is in us. And we're all wrapped up in this wonderful thing called salvation. He went to prepare a place for us and he is coming again and we will forever be with the Lord. There's four vital and I think very important questions and I'm done that every man needs to consider. Every person needs to let these things settle into your mind and then answer them properly. Where did you come from? What are you here for? Where are you going? And how to get to where you want to go. Where did you come from? In the beginning, the Bible says in Genesis 1 and 1, in the beginning, God, we came from God. Adam and Eve were created beings. God made Adam out of the dust of the ground, made his wife Eve out of a rib from his body. I'm not an evolutionist. I don't believe in one ounce of evolution. Someone wrote a little poem. I am not the product of, amoeba in, of an amoeba in sod or a shuttle thread in the loom of fate, but a born-again son of the living God with eternity for my vast estate. I'm not the action of cosmic night or a thing of chance that turned into a man, but a deathless soul on an upward flight and an heir to my father's perfect plan. I believe that we were fearfully and wonderfully made. And what are you here for? Just to have a job and a career and make some money? To have some fun and enjoy life? I think we're here to bring honor and glory to God from our lives. Philippians chapter 2 in verse 13, we were made for his pleasure. Our lives are to bring pleasure to him. I don't know if there's anything greater that could ever come from a human life 
to bring pleasure to God and honor and glory to his name. Where are you going? Two places, one or two places. Heaven or hell. How do you get to heaven? It all depends on what you do with Jesus Christ. I went to church. I think this brother that got saved at 48 said he'd been to church less than 10 times. I couldn't tell you how many hundreds of times I went to church. I didn't get saved till I was nearly 21 years of age. You lived at Don Green's house. You went to church every single service. We went to, I went to visitation when I didn't even go on visitation. You just went. We don't stay in home. You went to church. So for two decades plus, service after service, Sunday after Sunday, revival after revival, the church. You don't get saved just by church attendance. Some of you old folks, you remember back in the day when they used to have that thing up here and if you never missed a Sunday, you got this long chain. I mean, some of those guys went around like this. You know, they'd, they hadn't missed a service in 50 years. You may remember that? Remember that? Maybe only Yankees did that. I don't know. <laughs> you know, salvation is, is an initial experience. But there's more to it than just that being birthed into a family of God. You know, you have a baby. That's not the, that's not the end of it. I told the preacher, I think, going home from church today, I said, you know, you learn a lot from the day you're born till the day you go to kindergarten. You learn how to walk. You learn how to talk. I mean, it, Tremendous things. By the time you get to kindergarten, you really know enough how to get along in life. You can walk. You can talk. You can fake your way through it. I don't know. Has anybody here only went to kindergarten as far as you went? You've made it pretty good. My dad, as good a man as he was, he didn't get saved till he was nine years old. He got kicked out of kindergarten. That's the truth. He was a bad, bad boy when he was a little guy. You know, you can forget about a lot in life, but you will never forget the day you got saved. Amen. I could take a trip down memory lane right now, just a blessing. Now, I may get senile. I may get dementia, not even know who I am. I'm so glad he knows who I am and what he's done for me. Salvation is a life-changing experience that has an amazing, <laughs> an amazing eternity to look forward to. John said this, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, and that ye may know, that ye may know that you have eternal life. I'm so thankful tonight that I have a salvation that I know, that I know, that I know, that I know that I'm his child. I've passed from death unto life. Salvation is not based on who you are, what you are, 
where you are, but it's based on who he is. He came to this world to die for the sins of mankind. He died for your sins. He paid the sin price for you. You know what I've been looking for? Been preaching over 50 years now. You know what I've been looking for? I've been looking for that last soul to come and put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And the bride of Christ will be made up and we'll be caught up together with him forever. I'm looking for that. I'm looking for that boy. I'm looking for that young lady. I'm looking for that middle-aged person. I'm looking for that elderly fella and lady that would finally come to their senses and receive Jesus Christ. I thought about those two 76-year-old twins that got saved that day. I wonder if they sat there in the pew and said, well, I'll go if you'll go. <laughs> well, I don't know. I've been doing everything. You know, you were, you're three minutes older than me, and I, I don't And they both came. You know, you get saved at 76, that's a miracle. You have twin sisters get saved the same day, that is a double miracle. Listen, if you're not saved tonight, you ought to get saved. Let's stand our feet. The folks are going to sing a song of invitation. If you're not saved, come get saved. I usually reserve the gospel for Sunday morning, but I, I just, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. It's the greatest tool, if you please, that we have in our arsenal to defeat the enemies of this world. See people saved. It's the power of the gospel. It has not lost its power. There's no duds coming out of the gospel barrel. They'll still reach a soul. They'll still change a life. They'll still redeem all that would come to Christ Jesus. Would you come?